Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Cast Ice, the podcast that explores the great, big, wonderful world of tabletop gaming. The world that we are currently in, that where there are just too many good games to play. It has been said on this podcast about a million times that we are in the middle of a gaming renaissance. There are just too many good games that we can spend our hobby time and our hobby dollars on. My name is Brad, and I host this show to talk about the games that both my guests and I enjoy playing, um, industry events, and things that are going on in the tabletop universe. Um, now, we have had several guests on recently to talk about passion projects, things that they absolutely love. Now, that could have been Chaos Dwarves, as in a couple episodes ago. Uh, we talked James Bond a while back. Um, I mean, they're just G.I. Joe. They're just a lot of things that people are passionate about. And... Um, and oftentimes I share those passions with the guests that I have on. And today is another one of those examples. Um, now we have had several requests for more bolt action content like we did in the old days. And so here's a, going back to the well, so to speak. And we are going to talk about a bolt action army that is very near and dear to my heart. And that I've spent a lot of time uh, both playing and assembling and I guess researching probably more than almost any other army in the game. But I know I am not alone. There are several of you out there that love this army. But even if you don't, uh, I do think that talking about these things um, can help us to develop an understanding for maybe some of those lesser known bolt action armies and just get an idea around some of the tactics for bolt action in general. Uh, but before we get into that, I really do need to introduce the man who's in the background sitting patiently. Now, here is a gentleman who has played his version of the army that we play probably far more than I have. Definitely more an event play. Uh, I've been more of the dirty, filthy, casual type. But here is a man who can actually talk brass tacks about units, tactics, and everything you need to know about the Chinese in bolt action. Now, he is a Melbourne local and a man who I have been trying to get on this show forever. And just due to scheduling issues, it has just never worked out. It is my distinct pleasure to welcome this man onto the show. If you follow uh, social media, uh, especially around the uh, bolt action scene in uh, Australia and New Zealand, you would know him as Jonathan George. I know him as our good friend, John. John, welcome to Cast Ice. Thank you, Brad. It's great to be here. Man, now, oh, you and I both play Chinese. Now, that in and of itself is kind of like hen's teeth in bolt action land. Um, but what's weirder is we both play different types of Chinese because the, unlike most army lists in the bolt action universe, the Chinese are broken into three distinct separate lists that share um, sort of the same pool of units. But depending on which like vein you take, um, you can take different uh, units from that pool, if that makes sense. So, and um, generally, the, the national rules are similar, but there are some differ uh, differences. So today, let's talk about you to start with, because I'm doing way too much talking. Mm -hmm. You are a communist Chinese player. Um, why don't you tell us a little bit about, A, uh, maybe how you found bolt action, and then B, because mm -hmm. I'm pretty sure right off the bat you jumped into the Chinese, and that seems to be... <laughs> Not a common occurrence. So tell us a little bit about your story, brother, because I know it's a good one. Yeah, so um, it actually goes in the other order for me. I went communist Chinese before I went bolt action, if oh, that wow. makes any sense. So 
my bolt action army came out of an interest in World War II communist China, or actually more accurately, post World War II um, Chinese civil civil war oh, uh, communist China. So, um, I played every Games Workshop game under the sun mm -hmm. ooh, twenty years ago. Yep. Uh, and then stopped, and then stopped, and just didn't play anything. Uh, and then early last year, end of the year before, um, I was finishing up my master's, mm -hmm. did all my coursework, mm -hmm. had no reading left to do, suddenly found myself with the ability to read things for pleasure. Uh, oh, was, I know that feeling. Great. It's a good yeah. one, right? Absolutely. And, um, you know, my, my partner is Chinese and, mm -hmm. uh, you know, I wanted to get to know some more Chinese history, Chinese culture, uh, and sort of poked around looking at what, what interested me. And, and, um, you know, something that really grabbed me was, was, uh, the Chinese civil war, um, uh, the rise of the communists, mm -hmm. um, and, uh, you know, pre-World War II, the whole Sino-Japanese war, um, post-war, um, yeah, the, the, the conflict, the civil war, all really fascinating stuff. Uh, and, you know, as I was reading this stuff, I, I, I wanted to do more with it. And mm -hmm. for some reason, uh, I started thinking about miniatures, you know, something I just hadn't thought about for, for 20 years. Um, mm -hmm. And I started, you know, doing some research, doing some Googling and, and um, discovered um, that bolt action, which I'd never heard of, uh, had rules for playing the Chinese, which mm -hmm. it blew my mind. You know, it's fantastic. You know, all the other big games that, you know, the historical games of that era, you know, um, uh, Flames of War, whatever, mm -hmm. you know, uh, um, Chain of Command, like they don't have Chinese army rules. No. Uh, people have hacked them together, but they don't exist formally. So, right. uh, and 28 millimeter is what I'm comfortable with. It's you know historically what I uh, what I mucked around with. So you know I sort of started looking at this stuff and thinking, oh, this this would be great. I really want to you know put together a, a, a Chinese force, um, and uh, and you know there's rules for it. And that's that's amazing. And and not only that, but there's actually a local Melbourne scene for bolt action. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I just started to look at, so as you are well aware, one of the, the real challenges in, and I think one of the reason we don't see more Chinese armies is that nobody really makes models for yeah. Chinese armies in 20, uh, 28 millimeter. Yeah. It's rare, right? Yeah, so you've got, I mean, Brigade Games have got their fantastic um, Battle of Shanghai mm -hmm. stuff, you know, brilliant, but it's only really one squad of riflemen and uh, a squad of greatswords, you know, there's... Ooh, there's a little bit more in there, because that's my army, but we'll talk yeah. about that in a minute. <laughs> yeah, um, but, you know, so that's that's limited, and also, you know, I, I really wanted to do the communists, which, yeah. you know, they did have a lot of the same kit, mm -hmm. but... Um, you know, there were, there were distinct differences. Um, yeah. And I mean, and, and if you think about it, I know Ca uh, Copplestone makes yes. a wonderful range as well. Um, but a lot of mm. their stuff um, is uh, even sort of 
early, the, like the first Sino-Japanese war or pre-war even. Mm. So, I mean, it's really great for pulp stuff. Um, and my yeah. first Japanese, sorry, my first Chinese nationalist army was based off of those models. But the more I mm. looked at historical, you know, pictures, those things just mm. didn't match. Um, and so like you, I was like, yeah, this isn't, this isn't right. I need to get something a little different. Now, mm. for the communist range, though, I mean, both of those are kind of nationalist, and some of the cobblestone mm. stuff works for Warlord, which is sort of the third vein. So we have the nationalist, mm. we have the, the communist, and then the Warlord. But communists, there's nothing, is there? So there's, there is, but it depends on... Look, I, I am not a sculptor so i am not in a position to be critical of anybody else's skills okay. um yep. there, there are some um uh options out there um that are maybe what's the right word for it a, a, a little bit basic or a little okay. bit um yeah. they're, they're not as pretty as as say the brigade or the oh, right. cobblestone or you know yeah. that um so they have the right kit which is a huge deal, you know. It is um, right. Yeah. I, I think I want to say Reva, maybe, or um, you know, like in the UK, you know, some some really little basement style uh, mm-hmm. operations doing um, doing just immense ranges of of these real niche stuff. But yeah. you know, I looked at it and I thought, look, it's just just not what I was looking for at the end of mm. the day, and and so. Uh, I started looking at conversion options mm. um, and, uh, you know, remembering again, this is 20 years since I've done any work with miniatures or, <laughs> you know, yeah. and I don't, I don't even know that I touched green stuff 20 years ago, but mm-hmm. um, I started looking at what people were doing and the, the one key feature that I really wanted to capture. So if you look at any pictures of, you know, the, the, Chinese armies, whether it be nationalist, communist, whatever, you'll see the field caps, the the Chinese field caps yep. that very similar to like a German field cap, a little flatter in the top, mm-hmm. often closer fitting. There's a lot of different versions of them. Um, but I really wanted to have these field caps, especially because the communists, well, the Chinese in particular, although most models out there actually wear helmets, um, up until the you know conflict in Burma, there's they just didn't really have many helmets. I think mm. it was three hundred thousand of the German helmets yep. um, were in circulation. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and three hundred thousand when you're talking about you know millions, this is right. It's very small. Um, so most soldiers would have some variation of that field cap. Mm. Um, so I decided to use the the warlord japanese because they're not perfect fit for chinese but they're the closest again Mm. i'm thinking communists they looted a lot of their weapons from the japanese they did so whilst the guns were inappropriate they weren't completely inappropriate you know i could say look you know these are looted weapons that's a lot of the time what they used so Hey, you know that's why they've got Japanese guns, and also twenty-eight millimeters of rifles a rifle, right? Yeah. Well, I was about to say. So, <laughs> yeah, twenty-eight millimeter a rifle is generally a rifle. I mean, there's a few exceptions yeah. that people have pointed out when I've switched weapons around, but my mm. Japanese army, 
Um, because I made mirror match um battle for Shanghai yes. rough 1937, 1938 forces. Um, and my Japanese are wearing great coats because I really wanted to reflect that part of um you know, sort of winter wear. Because you never see Japanese wearing that. So um my Japanese are Chinese based forces in cooler weather. And um, I used the great coat models from Warlord's Plastics. Like you, I used Warlord Plastics. But to make that many of them, I had to pull rifles from all over the place. Mm. Most of my rifles are German and um, Soviet. But if you paint them and you paint them all the same and you put them mm. and you have Japanese rifle, you know, the Arasaka is... You know, it, it's distinctive, but if you put it in 28 mil next to a bunch of models who are wearing the same clothes, who are all carrying slightly different rifles, mm. I, I mean, if you really look, I'm sure you can tell. But if on a tabletop, if you're standing over the models, mm. I dare someone to say, your Arasaka isn't right, and I'm going to be really <laughs> grumpy with them. But, you know, I mean, yeah. as you say, a rifle is a rifle is a rifle. So, yeah, yeah sorry, go ahead. Yeah, so um, anyway, so the the, the big conversion job for me well there was there was two things that i did to, mm. to really try and capture the flavor uh one was the caps um yes. and the other was blanket backpacks mm -hmm. uh so again you look at any photo of chinese forces you're likely to see a blanket backpack they yeah. they wrapped up their um uh all their belongings inside a blanket and strapped that together and whacked it on their back and mm -hmm. in fact um my partner tells me that when she did her mandatory uh, Chinese military training, mm -hmm. um, it, they learned how to do a blanket backpack as oh, part really? of that. Yeah. So this is in the last, well, uh, 20 years, um, yeah. 30 years. Yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah, th this is still a, a practice they train. I don't know if I, I doubt they use it, but right. you know, it's something that the, um, communist government in their, their, mandatory military training um of young people still uh, still practices so okay, really cool. wanted to capture that as well um so i went through a lot of uh a lot of options with the caps i i tried german heads mm -hmm. the, they looked a little goofy to me the caps weren't quite quite right mm -hmm. i ordered heads online you know um a lot of them came in heroic scale. I didn't oh, really yeah. know at the time what was going on. But I ended up with these big, goofy-headed guys. Or if I cut the hats off, they became these hilariously oversized uh, <laughs> uh, caps. So um, in the end, I, I came to the conclusion I was going to have to green stuff them all. And, and that's what I did uh, for about, oh, about 70 models, I think. Yeah, um, man. It's really impressive to see your army out on the table. Yeah, thanks. Um, the other thing was, uh, and and backpacks are all green stuff as mm -hmm. well. Um, I, I also did um, I did my peasants, so the the um, militia that come with uh, free with every mm -hmm. Chinese army. Uh, I did straw hats for them because that was the most iconic thing. Um, mm -hmm. We look at Chinese peasant farmers and and even peasant combatants or even soldiers, and you'll often see those straw hats on yeah. the back or on the head. Um, so. Yeah, I uh, I set to work green stuffing the whole army, um, and I 
I am now in the. I, I now have a finished army. I may never add anything to it because I never want to green stuff another <laughs> another field cap in my life. Yep. Uh, it uh, it was way harder than I thought it was going to be. Mm-hmm. Um, and look, it's not perfect, but at a distance, it it works. You know, it it looks like I wanted it to look, and uh, I could call it a Chinese army and yeah. and feel good about it. Mate, I think you're selling yourself short. I mean, uh, I, I know that you, I mean, took on a hell of a job, and I know um, you were trying to keep your designs, you know, kind of simple so you could do it. Um, it wasn't like you were sculpting, you know, chainmail on dudes. Um, that said, <laughs> or fur, you know, fur or, coats, well, something ridiculous like that. Look, fur is deceptively easy. I'm just saying, smooth <laughs> surfaces kill me. And so when I looked at your army with those smooth caps and the. Uh, you know, the smooth tops of the caps and the smooth um, blanket rolls. I was just looking at that going, those have to be bits that you buy. Like, that can't, that can't be green stuff. And Very kind you, of you. No, I'm dead serious, man. You're, and then you paint it well and you throw it all on the table. It, I mean, it looks like it's supposed to. It, I know that you're using Japanese models. Um, and I know that you had to cut, you know, not cut corners, but you needed to make a couple sacrifices detail-wise. But I love that you focused in on those, you know, those things that were non-negotiable for you. And you said, mm-hmm. this is going to happen. And then you made it happen. And then, and, and you did it on a huge scale. And the army just looks great. I'm going to have to get some photos and put it up on the Facebook page so people can know what we're talking about here. Because, man, I think your army is something special. And it, like, it's just cool to see an army that has had so much TLC and effort put into it. Um, because you don't get conversions very much in bolt action. Mm-hmm. Yeah, look, it, it, um, I mean, look, I love my Chinese army. It was a, an absolute labor of love. Um, I look at the paint jobs now and I cringe. <laughs> um, it's only been a year, but you know, if you compare them to my Eritreans, you know, mm-hmm. um, I just, you know, it, there was a lot of dry brushing and inking because, I was batch painting and I hadn't painted in 20 years and I was going, oh, I think this is how painting works. Uh, did you just mm-hmm. do a base color and an ink and a dry brush? Is that, or is it a dry brush then an ink? Or, <laughs> yes. um, I don't know. Let's try this. Oh, this guy looks like a zombie now. Mm-hmm. Mm, let's try something different. Yeah. So, but um, yeah, look at the end of the day, uh, I, I was super pleased that I'd actually not only, had the idea, but figured out a way to do it and made a playable army out of it. So, you know, that's that in and of itself has been uh, just amazing, amazingly fun. You know, great, great to, to look back on. Totally. All right. Well, that's cool, man. Um, and clearly, you've been to China, so I'm sure you mm. have um, some. You've seen some cool museums or some, you know, uh, monuments uh, here and there that uh, tie to perhaps the history that you know for your army. So, I yeah, obviously with my partner and, and our kids, we've been to, to back and forth to China a few times. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, however, that was all before. I haven't actually been to China since I did the army. Um, mm-hmm. And we're talking about going later this year. So, um, I'm, I've actually got a list of places mm-hmm. <laughs> that I desperately want to visit now um you know all sorts of sites that i want to see um particular battle sites and so forth uh, 
my partner always raises a bit of an eyebrow and you know yeah right why do you want to go to this place in the middle of nowhere that's got nothing in it you know but why do you want to go to Calc and Gull? yeah he's <laughs> mm. yeah like there's uh, i mean i'd love to go and and see the the caves where the communists you know the Mao yeah. Zedong and, and and his forces hid out uh, when they fled north and you know all sorts of stuff that just really um and I, I went to the Great Wall um, when I was uh, uh, in high school, but mm-hmm. um, uh, I remember not really appreciating it at the time. But I'd love to, after seeing some shots of the the Chinese uh, army marching along the wall, I actually yeah. really want to get back there and see it, and you know, get inspiration to build a wall that I can put on the tabletop. You know, so <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I guess my experience, so I grew up in Japan, um, but I, and while I had a passing uh, love for history, thanks to my father, uh, I I hadn't been back to Japan in a really long time, basically like you, since I started messing around with bolt action and really digging in. And so uh, I went with my wife a couple years ago and um, yeah, we got there and I'd always heard about the... Uh, really controversial, uh, you know, war memorial cemetery, mm. warrior cemetery. The thing that, you know, Japanese prime ministers are not supposed to go visit because it's, look. Cause, <laughs> but keep visiting, yes. But keep visiting, and it's like a massive, like, I'd never been. I just had mm-hmm. never done it. Um, mm-hmm. And um, my wife had never been to Japan, and... Um, I'd been married previously and I'd had a lot of memories, um, not necessarily with my ex-wife, but I'd been going to tons of places in Japan my whole life. And my wife, um, you know, turned to me and said, I want to see stuff that you have never seen. I want to make on this trip, we are going to do a bunch of stuff. I mean, clearly there's things that you love and we're going to do, but I want to see a bunch of stuff you've never seen. I want to have that first mm-hmm. experience with you. And I thought that was amazing. Um, I, I, yeah. and for someone who, you know, to- I, I, I refer to myself as a Tokyo boy. Like I know Tokyo, <laughs> at least parts of it probably way too well. Um, mm-hmm. and to do something brand new and go to that memorial was fantastic. Um, because I, I'd never seen it. Um, and the, the, it, the museum attached to it is d- the, the plaques on the walls are, are absolutely frightening. Um, the history on the walls is hashtag fake news. Um, however, um, the, their collection of World War II uniforms, mm-hmm. armor, weaponry for, is astonishing. Um, and I just walked in and went, oh, wow. Um, and it... You know, as a Japanese player and as someone who also owns a Chinese army, um, mm-hmm. for that, it was, it was, it was wonderful. And I'm sure, you know, here I am skipping around this museum. I'm trying to look appropriate, <laughs> but, um, you know, it it was like visiting um, Warhammer World the first time. It was like, oh my god, mm-hmm. there's the thing. Oh, look at this. Um, <laughs> which I, I probably shouldn't say on a podcast. It makes me probably sound like a massive heathen, but. Um, you know, getting to be able to stand next to some of those tanks and actually see these yeah. things was it was wonderful. Um, anyway, I guess my Chinese experience is slightly different. Um, my dad, as I said, is a history teacher, and one of the things that he specializes in is sort of world history, but particularly Asian history. Um, and given in the 80s and 90s, when my dad was sort of in his heyday, I mean, there was some focus on um, Asian history. I mean, clearly Japan 
was um, a global power as far as business in the 80s. I mean, everyone talked about them buying everything up. And then whatever else. I mean, but my dad always focused on um, Japanese and Chinese history in particular. Um, and I got dragged up and down China and Japan my entire childhood. Um, and so I always have these wonderfully fond memories of those places and the people in those places and the cultures. And so um, when I started collecting a Japanese army, um, my natural inclination was, well, you know, these are the bad guys in the fight. How do I get my hands on the good guys? Um, yep. And my dad's got, you know, my dad had all of these um, awesome propaganda posters that he'd roll out for his classes every year. Yep. And when he was doing his lesson plans, he'd roll them out um, and he'd sort of put them up on a, you know, blue tack them to the wall or, you know, clip them to the wall so he could look at the things while he's referencing them. And, um, you know, he'd run through his slideshow. And as a kid, I would just sit and watch him. Um, mm. And so he had this giant poster of, um, I always get his name wrong. And it, uh, Ken Kai-shek. Um, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Ken Kai-shek, yeah. Thank you. Thank, I, I, embarrassingly, the guy who leads the army, I can't say his name. Yeah. Um, and um, uh, for me, that, and because my parents met and um, the first real thing they did together was go to Taiwan uh, for a mm -hmm. summer, which is kind of sort of the pre the the prehistory to my family um was mm -hmm. my parents going to taiwan for a summer together as students um i kind of have this and taiwan of course is what the national army where when they lost the battle the civil war between um the nationalists and the communists a mm. lot of the nationalist leadership slash nationalist forces moved to taiwan to escape mm -hmm. And so for me, Taiwan, I knew that. And so when all of a sudden I had the option to play Chinese, in my mind it was, bam, nationalists. Gonna do yep. it. Um, and so you're, of course, the other side, of the flip side of that coin. So I think we may have to play a Civil War game at some point. I think that we absolutely do, yes. Yes. Um, so I started with a cobblestone army, and I traded it. I... I um, I got all together, and I, again, didn't like the uniforms. I was kind of getting out of bolt action for a little bit. Mm -hmm. um, and so I sold the army on, and I'm kind of glad I did because I've replaced it with the Brigade Games army that you mm. mentioned before. So, yes, there's great swordsmen, and, yeah, there's a limited number of riflemen, but I think there's two blisters of riflemen, and there's an LMG guy and some yep. officers and the great yep. swords guys. And just by buying a giant collection of those models... Mm -hmm. I have, a, I have some pretty good variation in the army. Um, and, of course, those are all wearing the Chinese uniforms with the putis yes. instead of boots, um, but with the German helmets. Uh, yep. And so it's, really, it's a really cool, fun army. Um, and thankfully, um, the one and only Patch uh, painted that army for me. And so I'm mm -hmm. really happy. But the big problem with that army has always been... I miscounted the models when I bought them and sent them to Patch because I forgot about the Levy Squad. I, uh, I didn't necessarily forget, but I was like, this is surely enough riflemen. This is more riflemen <laughs> than I normally have for a bolt action army. Never, but then if you never enough. Right? But if you take 14 models out of the pool for the army, all of a sudden you're like, oh dear. Um, my army's very small all of a sudden. And in a Chinese army, that's not good because uh -huh. you can't sink points into tanks, which we'll talk about in a minute. Um, anyway, um, thankfully, a couple of years ago, or I guess about a year ago, Patch was looking to sell some or move on some Chinese 
um, pulp models um, that happen mm. to be in civilian clothes. And since I'm doing Battle of Shanghai with my Chinese, people in civilian clothing are perfect. So I was able to get 30 civilian-ish type people mm-hmm. um, from him, and I'm currently rebasing those to match. So that gives me my 14-man free squad and um, you know, two squads of eight um, gorillas. So all mm-hmm. of a sudden, I'm set. I now have gone from a tiny Chinese army to a proper <laughs> Chinese army, and I'm loving life yeah. because I have that whole um, citizen uprising, people wearing civilian clothes, fighting against you know the guerrilla war against the Japanese in the streets of Shanghai, um, which was called the Stalingrad of the East. So I'm mm-hmm. super excited about Chinese in general, and now that I have this, I'm just going, yeah. Mm-hmm. But anyway, yeah. um, that sets the stage, and we've been sort of prattling on now for about a half an hour. So we should probably get into the rules themselves. Um, Now, the Chinese have three national rules. Um, Do you want to talk about them so I will stop talking? Yeah, sure. So going off the top of my head, so Mm -hmm. um, they've got got the Levy Squad. Mm -hmm. So all iterations of the... Chinese armies, uh, they all get a free 14-man inexperienced rifle squad. Mm-hmm. Can't be upgraded with anything, can't be green. They're just, they're inexperienced. They're always going to be inexperienced. Uh, but there's a lot of them. Yeah, um, there is a lot of them. <laughs> there's a lot of them. 14 is big. Um, then you've got, so there's the, um, there's the flag national rule. Which, there is, which I always forget is a national rule. Well, so why don't you go ahead? You could be forgiven. I, I yeah. my feeling is that this is a, a version one thing. You could probably uh, it is a version one thing. Yes. Yeah, yeah, because you know, twenty five points, you can get a a flag in your command squad, which uh, allows you to re roll a rally check once for each uh, unit. Which, of course, rally checks in version two being made on the uh, yeah. base morale is uh, makes that pretty much useless, especially mm-hmm. at twenty five which is a hell of a whack. So, it is. Um, um, that said, it is. it does look pretty cool. Um, yeah. But if you weren't going to do it visually, I, I don't think I would ever take it. I would go as far as to say, build one, put it on the table, don't pay for it, don't play the role. <laughs> that would be my... Uh, What's that, my an objective, you say? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. Like, I, you know, flags are great, but uh, yeah, the, the rules as they stand at the moment, um, unless you're really wedded to uh, to spending the points. Um, yeah. Anyway. Um, yeah. So the um, so then you've got the the other two rules are specific to either communists or nationalists. Right. So um, the communists get sparrow tactics, and this is. You know, if you talk bolt action Chinese armies, you're going to be talking about sparrow tactics because, you know, it is a, it's a hell of a rule in a single sentence. It um, is. Oh my God, is it ever? <laughs> so the rule is uh, off the top of my head: any infantry uh, that is regular or higher, so regs or vets, can at the start of the game after setup make a free nine-inch move. 
Um, and yeah, before the first turn of the game, I was going to say, I'm looking at the actual writing. Your paraphrasing is perfect. I mean, I mean the wording slightly different, but yeah, you've hit all the go points. So all communist regular and veteran infantry squads may make up to a nine inch move after both sides have finished setting up, but before the first turn of the game. Wow. Yeah. And so that in and of itself, and I'll talk a little bit more later about why uh, some of the, some of the fantastic things you can do with that, but Mm. it also bears mentioning that, the Chinese communists can take, oh, I think it's up to seven squads worth of guerrillas by memory mm-hmm. uh, in the selector um, who can yeah. uh, forward deploy. So you And there is nothing to stop you from forward deploying and then moving a further nine inches, which means you can start 33 inches. It's astonishing. The table, uh, which, you know... That's a hell of a thing, and it has a lot of implications for how the game works. Yeah. Um, so, um, and and I'm sure we'll discuss that more. But um, well, if so I can it, quickly draw a quick underline yeah. on that one, what's really interesting is it's for all regular and veteran squads. Mm. So um, I know if you talk about things like the Soviet scouts, which have mm. you know a forward deploy move, or if you are talking specifically about. Um, like the Rangers, they get that that free yeah. move at the start of the game. Those yeah. are both veteran squads. So you are paying the veteran tax plus often other points on top to get those special rules. Now, mm-hmm. you are also paying that with the Gorilla Cell, um, which is yep. the, you know, sort of the mainstay. Yeah. yeah, to what you're talking about. But you can take them at regular. So mm-hmm. at regular, they are 12 points a model. So mm-hmm. for 12 points a model, you can forward deploy, um, you know, using the uh, forward positioning rules, and then you get a nine-inch move. It's crazy. And look, to, to compound that, so one of the, the great frustrations as a Chinese communist player is a lot of scenarios will, have, will start with no units on the table. And, yes, you know, Nine, nine inches on top of, you know, nine inches off the board is, is no better than nine inches. On the board, uh, yeah. Yeah, like it's, it's, it's oh, nothing. Sorry, yeah. It's nothing. Um, you know, so, however, for gorillas who forward deploy and mm-hmm. these, you know, the, I think this is a, a, a rule that a lot of people struggle with a bit, but in missions that have a first wave deployment, mm-hmm. forward deployers in the first wave on the table before the game starts. They do. Which means that you might have no other units on the table except for a horde of communist guerrillas who are then moving another nine inches on top of everything. So, yeah. you know, it, it really has, has implications for, for how the game plays. It does. And as someone who played partisans for years, um, the partisan had partisans have that rule where the first turn of the game, they got to uh, move without any of the movement penalties for moving over walls or through terrain, for example. Yep. And just being able to run through woods without any impediment 
um, meant that I could, you know, if I could set up on one side of the woods in the first turn and then haul ass to the other side behind a building or a wall, it often meant that I really took the fight to my opponent. And in some cases, I really wrong-footed people. Now, that was just a slight move forward. And I know Ranger players talk about that as well. I mean, in a game like Bolt Action where... Um, objectives are a huge part of the game. I mean, mm. most events, or uh, I'm not sure of the exact number off the top of my head in the new rulebook, um, given there's now 12 scenarios, but typically two out of three scenarios are objective-based. Mm. Movement is all that's important in that situation. So if yep. you're going to do that, I mean, if you're going to have that ability to way outmaneuver your opponents, you are really making them... Um, adapt to what you're doing early in the game. And though you may not have the AT assets to back it up, which I'm sure we'll talk about in a minute, Mm -hmm. you Mm -hmm. can really set some difficult situations that your opponents are going to have to walk into or kick you off of in order to walk into. Would you agree? Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. And look, you've mentioned uh, Fieldcraft, uh, the ability of of, uh, partisans to... um, do that run through terrain in the first uh, move a game. Mm-hmm. Chinese guerrillas also have that rule. How much do I love uh, that rule? Yeah, it's so good. So, you know, on top of your 33-inch deployment, you've got another 12-inch straight-through obstacles on top of that. Mm-hmm. Um, so you can be, what is it, like three inches from the uh, enemy board edge yeah. um, on, on turn one of the game if you want to. Um, and look... Um, I'm going to talk a little bit later about why I I think that's not as as bad as it sounds. Well, hold on. Let's um, let's get into that. Let's do that okay. because I understand that sometimes people hear these things and I know when you've ta- when I've talked about things on podcasts in the past, mm. people have heard it and then gone, "Oh," and then maybe they miss the rest of it later and then they come yeah. back and go, "Wow, that was insane." And you go, "Well, did you listen to the other part?" Or maybe they yeah. don't. So let's hear the downside because All right. that is amazing. But is. there is a downside. So talk to us about that. So, yeah, and look, going back to when I first started building this army, one thing, and um, I think we've talked about this before, but one thing that, that uh, disappointed me a little bit was when I went looking online about people's opinions of the Chinese Communist Army, the resounding opinion, and it's a very small opinion because guess what? Not many people play the army, so right. not many people have opinions about the army. Mm-hmm. But the resounding opinion was it's completely broken and overpowered, and the only reason it hasn't been completely nerfed or, or banned from events is because nobody plays it. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I saw all this disappointment. You know, I really want to run this army, um, and I actually went so far as to first event that I played, I contacted the event organizer and said, mm-hmm. I need to talk to you about this rule and you've probably never heard of it, but it's really, you know, people say it's really bad and, and I really want to play it and I'm, I'm, I'm not going to be, I'm not going to abuse it and please don't ban me from the tournament. Mm-hmm. And uh, it turns out the Melbourne Sea is really chill and he was fine with it and it was no problem at all. I've never had an issue with it. But yeah, the people's gut response is... It's broken. It's terrible. Well, it sounds too good to be true. It does. And, and you know, it, it certainly is what it is. Um, and there are, as you can use it, there's also, you know, we're talking again about guerrillas. You know, you can, uh, for minus three points per model, you can give them handguns, right, mm-hmm. which makes 
uh, tough fighters, you know. So you've got these nine-man squads of tough fighters deploying right at the front of the, uh, you know, over the other side of the board edge to, mm-hmm. to charge in and so forth. Right? Um, however, there's a couple of things I'd say to that. Um, and, and, look, I'm sure in the right hands it could be absolutely devastating. However, uh, two big drawback facts that I found. One is... Anybody who's put a sniper too far onto the table mm-hmm. knows why you don't put a sniper too far onto the table. Why it is you get 24 inches, but maybe you put him six inches from your board edge a lot of the time, right? Yep. Because just because you can doesn't mean that you should. Right. Um, because, yes, you're closer to the enemy and you can, you know, charge at them, but guess what? They're closer to you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, do the same to you. So, you're making yourself um, there there's also you know nine man tough fighter veterans for deployed with a nine inch sounds fantastic but there are better close combat options in the game there are you know uh is it uh, gurkhas mm-hmm. um <laughs> you know if you do that up against gurkhas you're not going to have an arm um, there's, uh, you know, you're also first game that I actually played. Uh, I, I, I actually did deploy, you know, my gorillas 24 inches in, moved them another nine inches. Mm-hmm. Uh, my opponent jumped two flamethrowers out of a truck <laughs> mm-hmm. and, you know, you can imagine what happened. Yeah. So, you know, I didn't get the first dice. That's, that's bolt action. You yep. know, you can never be guaranteed. Yeah, so, and even if you do, I mean, I've played against enough armies that have things that reach out and hit you early. Um, I'm thinking of a Soviet list with lots of scouts. Um, you know, my opponent got way up in my grill and um, mm. and deleted at least two of my squads, but that kind of made a U in the middle of my army, yeah. and everyone just turned and pointed their guns. And sure, that meant his other stuff got to roll up, and I think that was his plan, but he also was not ready for those units to be instantly deleted. And sure, it took yep. an entire turn of my army to do that, but they were gone. And then, yep. then he had to react, start reacting to me as I had started to mm-hmm. lay, you know, dig in, and thankfully the mission let me do that. Now, yes, you're saying, well... I was forced to react to my opponent and doing so that played to his plan. But in that case, it didn't work. Mm. So and it goes back and forth. That's right. And, and, and look, there's, yeah, it's, it's a very high risk, very, potentially very high reward, but a very high risk strategy. Right. Uh, a lot of bolt action is counterplay, mm-hmm. you know, and a savvy player knows that if you keep a few flame, you know, a flamethrower in reserve mm-hmm. or a, a tank in reserve, say, or, or whatever it might be, that you can just wait and see what the gorillas are going to do and then pop onto the table and take them off. You know, yeah. there's, they're not invincible. Yeah. Um, they're not fanatics. And, you know, this is a another huge thing when you, you know, like against Japanese, right? Yep. You know, do you really want to be that close to Japanese squads? Nope. Probably not. Um, like maybe you win a round, probably you're not going to keep winning them. Uh, and maybe you lose your veteran guerrilla squads to bamboo spearmen, you know, yep. um, that are dirt cheap. So yeah, look, it's, 
it is high risk. It's high reward. Um, there's definitely really great things you can do with them. Uh, you mentioned objectives before, and I have found that rather than whatever, everybody theory crafts this whole first turn rush, but seizing early objectives and planning your game around playing defensively, I've actually found is the better way to go. So yeah. understanding that you're going to be able to get on top of those objectives before anyone else has you know, got a possible chance of doing it, Digging in, setting mm -hmm. up, and defend, defend, defend. And um, go down. Yeah. In second yeah. edition, go down because that minus That's two right. to hit. I mean, yeah. but again, there's ways to combat that. But I yes. mean, if you if you're able to get up there soon enough and really set yourself up and maybe support those squads with something else. So mm -hmm. just like John was saying, you're not leaving yourself out there swinging in the wind. Even mm -hmm. if you're down, even if you're in cover, people can get you. Um, mm -hmm. If you're not supported properly. So you, you got to have a plan, I guess. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. You're absolutely right. And um, the, the, the last thing I'd say about the, um, the restrictions here is whilst the Chinese communists have this amazing rule and these amazing capabilities, they don't have very much else. Right. Um, right. So... They don't have very much in the way of armor. They don't have very much in the way of AT. Uh, and so, you know, if if that gambit doesn't work, if you can't, you know, get in early, seize objectives, hunker down, you know, you're going to have a real uphill slog. And if you lose those units, as you said, you know, it took you a turn to, do, to get rid of those enemy units, but they're gone you know, what is, what is the communist player got left? And, and often it's not very much, um, yeah. or it's not very much that's of, that's particularly special. Um, yeah. If I can quickly touch on that, um, mm. you said a lack of AT. I'm looking at the list of, um, <laughs> vehicles right now that the Chinese can take. <laughs> and I'm looking at the tanks. Um, the, the two vehicles that I can see are the captured 95 Hago, which uh -huh. is a tankette with a, with one man turret and a low velocity, heavy oh, or yeah. light, sorry, low velocity, light AT gun, yep. um, and a captured Chiha, which is a light howitzer in a light tank. Uh -huh. Um, yeah, yeah. uh, <laughs> dudes. Yeah. So there, I mean, you even look at the armored cars there's a um, there's a looted um, what is it the Type ninety two uh, Hokuku uh, sorry Hokoku Go uh, armored yeah. car which is uh, two machine guns uh, a medium in a turret and a hull mounted LMG uh, in an armored car <sighs> sorry kids um, yeah you're really <laughs> like you are absolutely depending on infantry now yeah. sure there's a few you know, weapons that you can take as far as AT. Um, you can take the Zist 2, which is a medium mm -hmm. AT gun, which is the heaviest AT gun that uh, the Chinese, any Chinese can mm -hmm. take. Yep. Um, but you can't take any anti-aircraft guns. Um, I know I love my autocannons. You can't take mm -hmm. them. And likewise, I'm looking at the howitzers. The biggest howitzer they can take is a light howitzer. So you are That's truly right. depending. Sure, you can take any size mortar, um, mm. and I guess you can take um, snipers, flamethrowers, 
and suicide mm-hmm. AT guys yep. in an ATR. Um, and I guess you got um, machine gun teams, but if you mm. add all that up, it really <laughs> does mean that against certain armies um, with lots of eight, you know, with the with the tools that can really punish you, you might really struggle to get across the table to mm. get one of those tanks that may have a heavy heavy howitzer that is just going to decimate your squads. Um, mm. You know, if if they get stuck going down. So one of the well, fairly early game that I played, but one of the the hardest, I think, or, or the the, yeah, the hardest I've been stomped, I think, mm. with my Chinese communists um, was uh, against uh, Nick Beatty's King Tiger in a kill point <laughs> mission. Oh, uh, that army. I love it. Love it. And yeah. The, you know, I've played against him in an objective-based game mm-hmm. and, you know, you just sit on objectives and the tiger can't do anything. But in a kill point mission mm-hmm. um, where you're running across the board and you've got nothing that can touch this thing, you know, and, and you know, trying to get a suicide bomber near the yeah, good luck with that. Is a, mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, like it's it's a nightmare. Uh, and, um, and it, it was on... Um, What's the one where you have to get across to the other side of the board um, and there's no forward deployment? It was that mission. There's oh. no forward deployment. Yeah. So I've got... Yeah. I, is that one of the ones stuff. I wrote? Um, it is. Indeed. Sorry. It was. Yep. That was all your fault. So, you know, I've got this little guy starting on my board edge running all the way across the open board uh, towards this King Tiger. Uh, and that's my best bet um, because yeah. even the, the Ziz 2... Uh, could not penetrate it at the range no. um, was impossible. So, uh, you know, that, yeah, there are limitations to this army. Yeah. Um, absolute, absolutely, there are limitations. And I have heard people complain um, that, and rightly so, that the um, suicide AT guys are really strong. I mean, they, they, the, the AT potential of those things is astonishing. Mm. And they automatically hit. Um, and that is something that in bolt action... You know, something that works 100% of the time in a game where dice are so fickle is amazing. I mean, it's why flamethrowers used to be so good in version one. Uh, But you have to get them there. And um, I know that people bellyache about uh, the the suicide AT guys. And in some cases, look, if someone's running six of them and it's, you know, in a a wall Mm. of other things, I can see how that would be obnoxious. But if you're running a generalist list and you got a couple, a couple three in your list, uh, having tried to take out a Tiger One repeatedly with uh, two of them, let me tell you, that sucked. Um, and that yeah. just, I mean, uh, no, it did not work. Um, and I like to think I can tactically think my way out of a wet paper bag, but I, that was a wet paper bag I could not get out of. Um, anyway, go ahead. Yeah, yeah look, um, I, I actually haven't heard anybody complain about Suicide AT. Maybe I'm just not good enough at it. Uh, my experience, and, you know, please don't tell anybody this. This is a secret between you and I. Yep. Uh, <laughs> no one's uh, listening to this. Yeah. No one's listening. No, no. Uh, suicide AT is uh, to keep tanks away. It's not to destroy tanks. Absolutely. Uh, I could not but, agree like, more. You, look, even with forward deployment, even with Sparrow Tactics – they they can just put a tank in reserve and you know what are you going to do like you've got a 
12 inch run there's always terrain there's always obstacles mm -hmm. you know are you going to run him out into the open on one turn so you can run him towards the tank the next you know like it's mm -hmm. People have to really mess up in order to get done by Suicide AT. Um, I've, let me think, I've destroyed a tank once. Mm -hmm. uh, actually, it was against one of your recent guests, Jermaine, because he was kind enough to let me do it because he wanted to see what would happen. Uh, <laughs> that sounds like Jermaine. Because <laughs> he's a great guy. But he is. <laughs> that's the only time uh, one of my Suicide guys has actually taken out a tank. However, what they have done routinely is allowed me to control where the tanks go and totally. that is huge for an army that is so vulnerable to armor yeah. um being able to say no you're not coming here because if you come here i'm just going to blow you up so keeping them away keeping them away from objectives keeping them you know keeping your other troops as safe as possible um you know is is a really really useful thing and and uh that's 100 of the time what i use them for yeah right on yeah. Um, okay. I feel like this is a rabbit hole. We can probably keep going yeah. down forever, yeah. but um, let's, let's move on. So believe it or not, there is one last national rule um, mm -hmm. just to go back to uh, 15 minutes ago. Um, and it's bodyguard and mm -hmm. bodyguard, um, even though and it applies for nationalists and for warlord. So you can take it for the other two flavors. And um, high-ranking nationalists, uh, officers, and warlords often accompanied by a bodyguard armed with a pistol and a sword. A bodyguard will sacrifice his life for his master. If an officer is successfully targeted by a sniper or suffers exceptional damage, the bodyguard will be removed from play in the officer's place. Um, now, that's pretty cool. It's like the addition that you can put on the Soviet sniper team that protects it from snipers and for exceptional damage, which is awesome. Um, now, my problem with this is uh, it tends to be only if they, um, the only people who can take it are captains and majors. Yeah. And um, as you have to take the lieutenant in bolt action, um, mm -hmm. I don't end up taking that. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Yeah. Look, there's a there's certainly room for a an inexperienced nationalist list with huge mm -hmm. squads, just you know, uh, inexperienced soldiers as far as the eye can see that has a you know, has a captain in it or a major or whatever, you know, there's that list could exist. Um, I would say it's uh, a very rare one. Um, yeah. So probably a rule that you're not going to see uh, in play very often. I think now I just actually had a, a thought um, and I'm looking at the selectors and so I'm, mm. this is probably me doing some wishful thinking here. But if I'm looking at the Battle of Shanghai, for example, it says mm. one nationalist officer. And if, then if you turn to the nationalist officer yep. section, um, it doesn't say you have to take a lieutenant. <laughs> Maybe. 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 Yeah. Um, I would probably have to look that up. I, I know, for example, um, listening to Sam talk about... Um, his experiences with um, one of the selectors in the Market Garden book um, on the most recent episode of the Down Order podcast, um, he talked about how it was, because it was a specialist list, you didn't have to take a lieutenant and you could take a major or a captain. And I'm looking at this saying, huh? That doesn't say lieutenant. Um, mm. 
Well, again, I the, think that may be wishful thinking. Yeah. So, having said that, if you want to play a warlord list, warlords come with that. Your only officer is going to be a. Ooh, is it a major? I believe. Yeah. Uh, no lieutenant. Mm-hmm. Uh, you use the warlord himself, mm-hmm. um, who comes in. I believe it's as a major. Um, who comes with a bodyguard, who comes with a flag bearer, who can be mounted on a horse, who can have a couple extra dudes with him. You know, it's a hugely expensive squad and probably not from a, you know, um, uh, value perspective, the the best investment, but it's neat. And it's certainly a way to get some use out of that national rule. Yeah. Uh, I, I, look, I'm, I've never, I've run Chinese in maybe 15, 20 games overall. Mm -hmm. And I've never used the bodyguard rule. I, I think it's yeah. cool. I've just never taken anyone that has a bodyguard. And I do yep. have a bunch of dudes with swords, and we're going to talk about them in a minute. But mm-hmm. yep. <sighs> All yep. right. Um, so those are the rules. And um, I think we kind of jumped past my next question, which was mm-hmm. how those rules help shape your army. Um, mm. Is there anything you want to add to that? Look, the um, I'd say... So, my army is certainly not optimized. Um, I, my primary uh, uh, guide when putting my army together was, what's the most historically accurate force yeah. I can build? Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, this is this is a forever attention in bolt action of, you know, hey. It, 14-man squads was the norm for, for um, you know, for Chinese nationalists, for example. But from a gameplay perspective, you know, having a 14-man squad of veterans or, you know, even regulars may not be what people consider to be cost-effective or even effective on the, on the battlefield. Mm. So um, I've... Certainly, the, the the models that I've got and the the way that the squads are, are organised are these really great big squads. Um, I I know that the book says that Chinese guerrillas have civilian clothing. Um, historically, that's not necessarily the case. In Correct. fact, I think historically it's more often that they were in uniform because mm-hmm. the Japanese would just kill everybody anyway. You know, they, they were yeah. killing civilians. They weren't, you know, if they thought there were soldiers there, they'd kill the civilians as well to, to make sure they got the soldiers. Like, not being yeah. in uniform was not saving lives. No, um, but I, I, propaganda-wise, I think it was often claimed by Japanese forces that they mm-hmm. were killing soldiers in yeah civilian clothes regardless of whether or not they were actually soldiers at all they were just killing people yeah. in civilian clothes and and look in some cases i believe that they were mm. uh, whether or not that justifies killing civilians to get to the soldiers i you know who are not fighting right. um you know uh, let's, let's not get too deep into that but um yeah so anyway I am perfectly comfortable, and I haven't had anyone complain to date, to run my uniformed soldiers as guerrillas. Yeah. Um, and, and I do that on and off. So sometimes I'll run them as, you know, regs, very rarely as vets, uh, sometimes guerrillas, sometimes not. You can tell which ones are the guerrillas because they're the ones halfway down the table. <laughs> yeah, exactly, <laughs> right? Um, so the – however, having said that, you know, how does this shape my army? Well – um, you know, I am building with sparrow tactics in mind. You can't be a Chinese communist player and ignore that, you mm-hmm. know? So you're thinking 
you know, what units do I want to forward deploy with? Where, where do I want them to go? Um, and look, something actually we didn't talk about when we talked about Sparrow Tactics, which for me I think is almost, if not more valuable than just rushing down the table, is being able to um, uh, to muck around with your opponent's expectations. So maybe don't move nine inches forward, maybe move nine inches left, you know. Uh, so right. you set up in one place mm -hmm. and then all of a sudden you're in another place. Your entire army is moved. Uh, so they're looking to deal with one threat and suddenly that threat's somewhere else. Yeah. Uh, and you could really counterplay with that. Um, and that's certainly something I, I give a lot of thought to when I'm, uh, you know, putting together armies. Um, also just you know, not so much the national rules, but just the limitations of the, the selectors, um, always thinking, how am I going to deal with the AT, with the, with the armored threat? You know, what, what am I going to do about it? Um, and you know, what are the, what are my workarounds? Cause it's never going to be, Oh, here's going to, I'm going to take it head on. Um, but you know, what, what am I going to do to, um, uh, avoid just having tanks roll over everything that I've got. Uh, and that factors into to army building and planning uh, fairly significantly as well. Yeah. Now, in my list, I generally take almost entirely regular infantry squads um, mm. to, to represent bulk standard you know, Chinese soldiers yep. on the ground. Um, I, I, I have to have a big sword squad because I'm nationalist and yeah. because they are so damn cool. Um, yep. I don't. I, I run one squad of them. Um, I also tend to take one, possibly two guerrilla squads. I think I've never taken more than one, but now that I have the models, I might try to. Mm -hmm. um, but as I said, I almost always rely heavily on predominantly just regular infantry squads and that 14-man inexperienced yep. squad. So I, my force looks pretty basic. Um, you know, I'm running, I think, mm -hmm. eight to ten-man squads of regular dudes. Um, a couple have SMGs. Usually they're just plain rifles. Um, and I'm just, mm -hmm. I mean, they don't have any crazy national rules that make them better. Mm -hmm. They're just regular riflemen on the tabletop. Yep. And, I, and I work around that as my workhorse. Because you're taking the Chinese, um, sorry, the communist Chinese, are you taking those regular infantry squads? Um, I know it's only a couple of points cheaper if you're running regular. But I mean... You, I mean, really to focus on your Sparrow tactics and really the history of your army. I mean, your guys really did move all over the joint. I mean, it, yeah. they, I mean that was, Hit and Run was the name of their game. So um, yeah. do you take regular infantry? I mean, like I, either yeah, veteran I, I or inexperience or whatever else, but not guerrilla squads. Yeah, absolutely I do um, for a couple of reasons. One is in some scenarios, guerrillas just don't play. Like they, you know, there, there are times when um, for a deployment is denied. Um, I have yet to play against a Bulgarian player. We have one in Melbourne, I know. Mm -hmm. um, I, 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 I fear the day I have to go up against him um, mm -hmm. with my Chinese because, of course, they uh, prevent all forward deployment. Um, so I feel like, and, and even in those, a, a lot of a lot of scenarios are. Um, uh, deploy up to half your army, right? And everyone mm -hmm. else is in reserve. Uh, so if you've got a whole bunch of guerrilla squads sitting in reserve, their only bonus is that they get a, they ignore the minus one from, from flanking. Like they don't, they don't do anything else. Right. Um, so you're spending two points a model on something you can't use. So my experience has been, 
a couple of guerrilla squads uh, are great. Um, over-investing in them is, you know, thematically, you know, great, but from a, from a gameplay perspective, it's, it's a uh, wasted points. Yeah. Um, there's, I also, I mean, there's, there's also something, again, things we haven't talked about. Guerrilla squads can be run as a three man squad and you can put an LMG in that three man squad. Yeah. Uh, no, for deploying three man LMG squads. Again, you can have up to seven infantry squads in an eighth route army selector, mm-hmm. the communist Chinese selector. So, you know, go wild. That's, uh, there's there's stuff you can do with it um but yeah i have i justify that to myself in saying well first of all they did that the chinese communists didn't always operate as guerrillas they largely did but they, right. they, they didn't 100 percent of the time also the sparrow tactics themselves are guerrilla movement you know it, it is them shifting around the battlefields acting as guerrillas, uh, mm. even if they're regular troops. Um, I don't tend to take inexperienced squads other than the free one for the very reason that they are unaffected by Sparrow tactics. So, you know, you're yeah. uh, cheating yourself out of that. But I will take regulars, absolutely. Um, vets, sometimes I like quantity in Chinese armies. Um, mm-hmm. uh, you know, you can take some veteran guerrillas so that, that that's good fun, but generally speaking, I, I, I stick to, to regulars um, mm-hmm. and, and lots of them. Well, I guess my other question for you is then, um, what other squads, I know out of just bulk infantry squads that you can put into a communist army, um, mm. cavalry's the other one. Um, and uh. while I also have a painted cavalry squad, I don't know if I've used it more than once. Um, mm-hmm. It just doesn't fit my Battle for Shanghai urban warfare list, so yep. it's nice, but yeah, no. Um, do you? I do. I do. I have a, uh, a 10-man cavalry squad um, that uh, have, uh, have killed a Sherman, <laughs> mm. uh, to their credit. Um, they're great. Again, they're infantry, uh, which means they get sparrow tactics, uh, which on top of cavalry movement is very very tasty mm-hmm. um so what's and and of course historically the the communists did use a a, a lot of horses uh, a lot of cavalry whether or not they ran them at tanks i think is a another thing entirely <laughs> another thing you know and whether there were tanks for them to run them at as well but uh <laughs> yeah exactly uh yeah but that aside um you know they can they can take anti-tank grenades um mm-hmm. and uh they are great for threatening objectives, as is everything in the Chinese communist list. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, you know, you can put them on, move them forward those nine inches. Um, they've got a 18-inch uh, move, is that run? Nine-inch move, 18-inch yes. run, is that right for the cavalry? Yeah. So, um, yeah, I've actually had some um, very early cavalry charges that have, uh, you know, surprised opponents, or if not, succeeded i've been able to threaten uh to do that um uh, cavalry chinese as with anyone else um mongols aside um you know they've only got the 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 carbines that shoot six inches Mm -hmm. um when they're mounted which means that you know they've they've got some limitations but uh yeah they have recce which is great uh you can get them in fast and then 
you know, kite your enemies around a great deal and, and generally cause problems and keep playing that keep away game. You know, you've got your guerrillas on the other side taking objectives. You've got the cavalry harassing on the other side where, uh, you know, threatening something else and you're forcing the opponent to split their attention and, you know, it, very, very useful. Mm, totally. Yeah, man. Okay. I, I don't know if I would, I just don't know if I would, given what I can do with guerrilla squads, even in a regular nationalist army, I, I don't know if I would run too many cavalry. Again, I, I guess I'm running something that's completely different than what you're running. Mm-hmm. Um, it just They just don't seem to fit. Um, I had toyed around with the idea of taking cavalry just as a means of getting up and onto the table, mm-hmm. um, you know, get going where I need to go quickly and then dump out. Um, eh... I, I yeah, I'm sure people are out there yelling at me, telling we're doing this wrong. Um, but I mean, if you wanted to take a themed list, I'm sure you could. I mean, I know that as you say, there were lots of horses in the Chinese army. Um, I have two horses in my army. Sorry, four horses, and they are my limber. Um, yeah, and that's my horses. But yeah, yep. yeah. I, I, you know, for me, I feel like more than the even more than the movement because you've already got that with the gorillas and so mm-hmm. forth. Um, the the ability to recce is is what really pays for horses for me. Um, yeah. Just it, they're really frustrating to deal with. You know, you can ignore them, which is a bad move because mm-hmm. then they'll just get in behind and you know cause problems. Or you can shoot at them and then they're going to recce off somewhere else and then you've wasted that squad's. Uh, shooting you know and you mm-hmm. don't need an orders test to recce you no, know you so they can be sitting there with five pins on them and uh, still reccying uh back and forth you know so um yeah I, I i really like them just as a as a further distraction mm. all mm. right well what other what other things do you like to put in your list then because um yep. now guys i know as we're going through this we're not going through each particular um entry line by line how many points what the options are i've done that show you can go back through several episodes of lrdg2 i think um the ghost army did at one point we did a deep dive on this book um i know the snafu podcast has done one there's a number of podcasts that have talked about the chinese list and gone through it line by line by line by line um, we're just sort of talking generalities and tactics. I feel like a lot of the time what we talk about in bolt action is the listing um, and often not how we use these things. So I think that's kind of what John and I are trying to focus on today. So I highly mm. recommend that you go back and check out those other episodes. Um, if you are really into line by line in a more list wide analysis, if that makes sense. Um, but that said, John, what are some of the things that you put on your list to support the units that you have and how do you use them? Mm. So um, probably the biggest one, the one I never do without, is mortars. So mm. uh, I believe 8th Army can take a uh, medium and a heavy mm-hmm. um, and plus a light howitzer if you're going that direction. Mm-hmm. Um, and they can all take spotters. Um, so that, again paired with the lack of, of armor, uh, that can be a really, really great um, for harassment. So I always take uh, one indirect HE weapon. Um, I have certainly been known to take three, mm-hmm. um, which uh, I'm not sure uh, everybody loves, but um, 
you know, I, again, it, I think it's a great compensator for some of the um, the limitations. It is. Uh, and I mean, what you're saying yeah, is but, two mortars. I mean, it's not like you're running three medium howitzers that you can mm. fire direct sights at people at. I mean, I, I, I don't feel like two mortars and a light howitzer is going to necessarily break the bank as far as mm. HE dice. Um, yeah. You know, to talk bolt action one vernacular. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I, I love taking that. I did. Um, so you mentioned earlier that uh, Chinese can take a Ziz two. Um, mm-hmm. Sorry, the communists can take a Ziz two, which I should say is totally historically inaccurate because I know that's super important. <laughs> yeah. um, but um, I did muck around with it just as having some uh, uh, AT on the table. Mm-hmm. Um, I found the indirect stuff just more effective, to be honest. Um, mm-hmm. At the end of the day, so. Uh, I don't run it very much anymore. I ran it a lot early. I prefer the light howitzer nowadays. Um, uh, otherwise, um, don't generally take um, medium machine guns. Uh, I'll throw in a flamethrower. Uh, again, just combined with sparrow tactics. Um, you can be that little bit yeah. closer, but my experience has been it's not it's still not close enough. Uh, mm. And I don't run trucks with the Chinese because the Chinese communists really didn't run trucks. Um, so I found that's not, not great. Um, Eighth Army list can take two snipers. Mm. Uh, again, something not everybody approves of. Um, but two snipers is uh, nothing to sneeze at. Two snipers mm. can be um, very effective. They can also be very ineffective, but... Uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, I almost always take one sniper um, and I have run a second on occasion. Um, But yeah, look, I'd say my staples are always getting a sniper in there, always at least one mortar, preferably two, um, and uh, lots and lots and lots of infantry. And um, I do take the AT guys, um, Mm -hmm. again, just the keep away factor of them. How how many Um, do you take and what? A veterancy. Uh, so I usually I usually take in a thousand point list. I'll usually take two or three. Um, okay. So uh, one just isn't enough to box anything in or, right. or do sufficient keep away. It's not enough of a threat. You know, they, they're not mobile enough. Uh, two is often enough. Um, three is better. Uh, a regular is only twenty points. So yeah, you know. Um, it, it's not a huge investment. Um, the what? Uh, so I, I love the irony of veteran suicide bombers. Right. <laughs> um, it does feel a bit cheap. Uh, mm-hmm. I have I have run them on occasion. Um, experience has been that if you're getting hit, you're probably or it's probably too late already. Um, so, uh, they don't often get pins on them. They're small team. You whack them in cover, Mm -hmm. you know, they're probably not actually getting hit very often. And if they are, somebody's wasting something on them as well, which is probably a bonus for you. What do you mean sniper shot? (laughs) Yeah. Well, um, that's why I take three. Mm Um, so, uh, yeah, look, I, I, I will take them vet sometimes just because it's six extra points and often I'll have six extra points lying 
over. Um, but uh, I'm perfectly happy with regs, um, which is generally consistent with my whole army. So uh, how about yourself? Have you, how have you gone with uh, Suicide Bombers? Well, my list tends to look a lot different. Um, I do run mm. um, a fair bit of infantry uh, like you, but nowhere near in the numbers that you do. Um, as I said, I usually have my free squad. I have my squad of big sword guys um, as sort of a counter strike unit. So when people are digging into me, usually mm. I'll have them jump out and either they've been hiding behind something or I do occasionally have a truck because nationalists yep. did have them yep. and it, they may jump out and put the whoop ass down. Um, you mm. know, they got a few SMGs, they got the sword, so they got the tough fighter. Yeah. So you can, you can actually use them as the, a good counter strike. You put a couple of pins on a unit in the shooting phase. And then if you can, you know, get up close to the big swords, you can do some damage um, often, though, they're, they turn out to be like a double distraction while they're counter-assaulting. People then see them and go, oh, God, this guy's with the swords. Let's shoot them. Um, <laughs> ignoring the fact that the rest of my riflemen are getting objectives. Um, and I take you know, maybe one squad of guerrillas um, to get on those objectives early um, to really try mm -hmm. and you know, give my list a little mobility. Uh, even though I do have that one truck, one truck is mm -hmm. not, you know as hypermobile as I'm used to taking. Um, but I, I tend to, to back it up because I have an urban warfare list. I think I'd be mm -hmm. well within my rights to take, for example, um, a flamethrower. Um, but what yep. I usually end up taking is um, a medium mortar. I usually end up taking an anti-tank rifle that I put on roads. Um, yep. And I use this like an ambushy sniper type thing to take out a, opponent transports that are coming my way because being outflanked with my army sucks. And so I try and minimize that. Um, and when I mean outflanked, I mean sort of tactically not the rule named outflank, if that makes sense. Um, mm -hmm. So I try and break down those transports. I do tend to take a medium machine gun um, because I can take the... Um, I can get Hitler's buzzsaw on a veteran medium yeah. machine gun for 65 points. Thank you, nationalists. Um, because mine are worth German gear. Uh, mm -hmm. And because I have that, um, I, you know, and a lot of people talk about MMGs aren't great, but I tend to play the generic selector, not the, the theater selector. I use the theater selector as a guide mm -hmm. for my nav. Yep. Yeah. Um, and so when I do that, I run out of units to grab objectives i have my mm. and i need i want more mobile or sorry more mm. static firepower to back these guys up as they move yeah and a hitler's buzzsaw veteran squad if i can keep them away from snipers are pretty good at doing that um i like them uh i know it's not everyone's cup of tea i really like that as an inclusion to this list mm -hmm. i weirdly haven't taken a lot of snipers um but mm -hmm. then to get to suicide at i tend to use it uh to soak up points um mm -hmm. and so i typically take one regular one as a deterrent um yep. i have taken two inexperienced ones um because i don't feel ba as bad taking two inexperienced because they are <laughs> fairly easy to get rid of um mm -hmm. that said i typically take one regular but again not super effective um, because mm. you can't, as you say, can't box things in. Um, yeah. People can easily avoid them, but that's kind of what I want them to do because I tend to put it near an objective, um, yeah. typically near the big swords, and I'm like, yeah, come at me, bro. Um, and Or I put one on one side and the big swords on the other, and I sort of <laughs> force my opponents to try and put their tanks near the big swords, but that's also... 
you know, kind of a trap um, because the thing that I really should point out is um, my Chinese list uh, about 50% of the time has does have a big gun. Um, and though mm-hmm. the Chinese can't take heavy AT, uh, nationalists can take a heavy howitzer. Um, mm-hmm. And I have uh, the giant German one, um, yep. the 15 centimeter SFH 18 heavy howitzer. Um, I haven't played it tons, but when I have, it's frightening. Uh, it's the deterrent of all time. And I tend to try and partner it with the suicide AT guy in one part to keep people off one objective and the big swords off the other one. And then the rest of my squads just sort of do what they do um, to stay mm. in the game and to keep people from getting on the right objectives. Um, I don't tend to play this army super aggressively, um, which mm. for me is saying something. Um, <laughs> I tend to play this army as more of a um, react static force. Um, and mm-hmm. I like the challenge of that. Um, that said, I do have one last um, element to my list. When I'm not running the howitzer, I'm running a triple two with an autocannon, um, an armored car. Mm-hmm. Um, and I always take a T26 <laughs> tank. Yeah. Um, because I can, and it's, you know, a light, sorry, a tankette with a light anti-tank gun. Um, so it's hardly, you know, the cheesiest thing ever. However, it does have that um, pencil, not pencil mounted, um, coax medium machine gun. And so it is just nice to actually have something that can creep up on Ooh. infantry squads and lay down some pins. Um, but yeah, my list is really basic. Um, mm-hmm. It's very bulk standard bolt action. The only thing it really has going for it that makes it quote unquote Chinese is the big sword squad yeah. um, and the 14 man free squad. But if you factor that out, it, it is like a national army that has no national Ooh. rules, um, <laughs> if that makes sense, which is weird sometimes if you're used to playing things yeah. like Soviets or Japanese or Germans Ooh. or anything else. Um, have you encountered that? Yeah, so not with my Chinese communists. I mean, because, again, sparrow tactics, unless it's, it's just no units on the table, no forward deployment, and then you're like, well, there goes my... My my big, you know, my big game changing national rule. Um, mm-hmm. You still got the fourteen man free squad, of course. Um, I so as we mentioned right back at the start, Chinese communists are my first bolt action, or were my first bolt action army. Uh, so right. that was for a while all I knew. Um, I've since had the opportunity to play Germans, Americans. Uh, I've got my Eritrean Italian force. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I've had a muck around with a, a bunch of different stuff. Um, and the first time I played Americans, I was just, I, I couldn't believe how many rules they had and how great they were. Right. Oh, wow, I can do this. I can do that. This is, wow. Uh, I can take a tank with a gun on it. This is amazing. Yeah. Um, but um, I can move and shoot and not make it a six on six. What the yeah, hell? What is this? What is this? Yeah. Yeah. Um, Having said that, I've never felt disadvantaged uh, running the communists. Um, I, I think people often talk about uh, minor nations, and I have that in you know heavy quotation marks uh, in the case of China, but people talk about minor nations being hard mode. Mm-hmm. Uh, and um, I think... Bolt action works without having like the the national rules are nice. Having all the American stuff is great, but 
I feel like just, you know, even without, uh, and again, speaking, playing Italians, you know, which often mm-hmm. only have negative rules, mm-hmm. um, you know, it still works. Uh, yeah. And the fun thing about running the communists for me has been about trying to work within those limitations to go, okay, this is what I don't have. What do I have? What can I do to compensate for that? How can I make this work? Uh, and it's really fun it's a, a, to, to, to figure out how to make an effective force. And you absolutely can. And I, I believe that, well, what is it? Um, uh, Norway? No. What's the uh, – there's a, there's a couple of armies that maybe – Maybe you're a little bit too limited, but generally it's speaking, Norway. yeah, yeah, Norway is the mm-hmm. we have skis army, I think. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, uh, but bolt action is such that I think almost any army can be made viable if you build it right and play it right. And I think the Chinese are no exception to that. Uh, and for people who are on the fence about doing Chinese, I'd say go for it. You know, they are a fun force to play. They're, you know, as you've said, there's a lot of different options. You can paint them up so they can be played as multiple different, uh, mm-hmm. you know, types of Chinese force. Um, and uh, I'm going to sneak into that. You keep saying three different types of Chinese force. There there's is actually a fourth. four. There, there is, is a fourth, which Please. we haven't talked about. Yeah. And we're not going to get to, but we're not. there is a fourth. Uh, um, we should at least say what it is. The X and yeah. the Y, is that what you're getting at? That's right, which oh. are technically nationalists but are completely different insofar as what they can take. And they, they can, can take, take American tanks. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, they don't get gorillas. They get um, native irregulars mm-hmm. instead. They can take Errol's marauders. You know, they can um, take uh, trucks as well. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there are... Universal carriers. Oh, yeah. There's all sorts of awesome. No suicide bombers. Mm -hmm. You know, it is a very, very different list um, from the ones we've been discussing and Mm -hmm. and, um, something I have bought the pieces for and not assembled. But uh, I have to quickly ask so, what are you using to make the guys? Because they generally look like Eighth Army guys, but they have putees. How are you doing that? So, this is what is. This is what's stalling me at the moment, uh, is the booties. Um, right. So um, I have uh, so two options um, that, that I've come to, um, mm-hmm. or, or three actually. So um, I've gone with the Perrys. I, I do have, um, in fact, I won at one of your events, uh, some of the new Warlord 8th Army, which mm-hmm. look great, but they're big guys. They are, they yeah, are chunky. Huge. <laughs> Uh, and for the Chinese, I wanted to go a bit smaller scale, mm-hmm. so um, I've, I've picked up some Perrys, um, the, which, you know, perfect except for the putties. Um, mm-hmm. So options are green stuffing putties on everyone. Good luck with that. Which, again, you know, mm-hmm. I've been there in the past with hats, and, you know, I may do it again when I really feel up to it. Uh, alternatively, um, there, Perry actually does have a, I think it's the um, – Afghan force. Um, there's there's a, another British. There's a British force mm-hmm. um, that have plastics that have putties on the models. Um, that with a bit of love you could chop off and and you know take Very the legs cool. off the uh, uh, the Eighth Army guys, mm-hmm. switch them out, do that. A lot of work, 
potentially, you know, if you're any good at green stuff, I'd say that's probably going to wind up being the the go-to. Um, but you know, there, there's a couple of options which, you know, when the uh, when the energy strikes me, I will uh, make yeah. a decision and, and go ahead and finish that out. Yeah, yeah, I'm holding a, a sprue of those guys right now, looking at yep. them as we speak. And um, I was thinking of shaving. If I was to do it, I would use those guys as well, uh, even though they're big. Um, and I would shave. Sorry, the, I'm talking about the warlord ones. The warlord, um, yeah. And shave the ankles down and the yep. shins on the socks, and then madness rather than sculpting it on painting on putties um really but i yeah. hate my life so let's not do that <laughs> anyway um i hate to say this our time is sadly drawing to a close yep. um as far as what you were saying before though i think you're right i think so much of the time and i'm definitely guilty of this as a bolt action podcaster i've spent so much time talking about the lists that we we make the history behind them the 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 ta- or not even the tactics just the, what goes in a list to win, but not how to use it. Um, and for the next, you know, maybe little while, uh, every time I, I talk about bolt action, I really want to start getting into the how, not just the what. Mm-hmm. Um, because that I find, I think that's a really interesting discussion. And I think that's part of the beauty of bolt action is that with almost any list, if you play it right, you can win. It's not like other lists, other games where, you know, where one list really does overpower another one. Yes, in bolt action, that does exist to a degree, but you can win with those lists that have far less, quote-unquote, toys or ability to you know succeed than other armies. Anyway, Jonathan, I got to say, man, it has been a pleasure having you on. Thank you so much. I'm sure we could talk for hours. I'm sorry yeah, that we I have to so. call, us, uh, call it short, man. I do have to say thank you again for coming on. Um, when we recorded this, uh, folks, it is Lunar New Year. Um, and I don't know if you heard, but we've had to pause recording several times over the course of this episode. Um, and you can probably still hear the firecrackers and the dragon drums dancers um, down the street because where I'm recording is in Melbourne City and we have a huge Chinese population. Um, so um, this fine, um, happy, happy Lunar New Year, um, a week in advance or a week from the past, I should say, if you're <laughs> listening to this. But um, yeah, Jonathan, thank you so much for coming on, man. Thank you very much for having me, and happy Year of the Pig. Amen, man. Oh, as we call my little uh, co-host who's sitting next to me right now, uh, my little dog Jim, the piglet, the piglet belly, it is Jim's year. So, um, <laughs> yeah. All right, enough about me. Ladies and gentlemen, it has been a pleasure to talk bolt action, and it has been so much fun. I think we're just going to have to keep doing it uh, in future episodes coming up soon. Um, I've had a lot of people asking me about the new game, Warlords of Erewhon. I do have it in my grubby little paws, and I am absolutely tearing into it and i'm loving what i'm reading expect content on that very soon including an episode uh, of the warlord cast where i will be interviewing the one and only god of wargaming himself rick Priestley. um but that is for a future day uh ladies and gentlemen when you are playing the games that we know and love i hope that your beverages remain cold i hope your dice roll hot but more than anything else i hope y'all have fun Thank you very much for listening, and Happy New Year. This is Cast Dice saying good night.